When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is my interview with the director and editor for Beyond Utopia, Madeline Gavin. Imagine waking up one day and realizing that you were born on a completely different planet and everything you learned was lie and the heroes you worship were actually monstrous villains. In North Korea, there is no freedom of religion, there is no freedom of thought, there is no freedom of press. The regime told us we are living in utopia, but we are captured in a huge virtual prison. Sometimes people will die through torture and there's no recourse. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Next Best Picture podcast, where I am being joined right now by the director of the documentary film Beyond Utopia, Madeline Gavin. Madeline, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk to me about this really incredible film. I saw it at its world premiere at the 2023 Sundance Film Festival, and I have not stopped raving about it ever since. Um, I still maintain uh, nearly 300 films in this year. This is my favorite documentary of the year. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's, I'm honored. That's amazing. So, I want to first start off by asking because you're attempting to tell a story that has a tremendous amount of scope here. You have to educate the audience on the uh, conditions that are taking place inside uh, North Korea, an area that so many of us do not have visible access into to really fully understand. So how do you start the research process first and foremost and and set the stage, if you will, before we start getting into uh, following certain people throughout the documentary? Um, I mean, I started the research process for this by just going totally in, you know, doing a deep dive in every direction. You know, probably the most meaningful uh, was using VPNs and searching the internet high and low from every country, from every language, because I was discovering that depending on what country I searched from or what language I searched in, I was finding different little tidbits about North Korea, both the propaganda and um, what's what's been going on and what the people are being you know, fed and exposed to in that country. And also I was finding, I began to find hidden camera footage that was being shot by very brave North Koreans who were really risking their lives, you know, shooting in the sleeves of their jackets and in their pockets and paper bags to try to document what's really going on inside North Korea because the regime does not allow that footage out. So this, right. these are people who are risking their lives to smuggle out footage of what's really going on. And that opened my eyes 
to both the reality and to the fact that we really don't have the opportunity to hear from 26 million people who live inside that country. We really, in the outside world, have not heard their voices. And that's when I felt like this this film has to be made. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that in and of itself is extraordinary. Um, I, I learned so much while watching this documentary that, you know, it's like you hear vague things and, you know, stuff that has um, meaning behind it that you don't necessarily know the details about, you know, okay, yes, we know that the people in North Korea are living under a, a tyrannical rule. What does that exactly look like? What does that exactly mean? And so your doc does a really, really great job of uh, diving deep into that, setting the stage and letting us know what the conditions are like now we find out that there are people, specific people who are attempting to flee North Korea where they're risking um, the consequence of death in, 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 in these cases. And so the documentary then becomes uh, essentially a dramatic thriller of sorts. I have so many questions. I don't even know where to begin at this point because um, I always respect filmmakers who are willing to put themselves on the line in any capacity to capture the truth. And this documentary does that. I mean, where, like, once again, where does one even begin? Was it with, like, how did you establish contact with, uh, who was like your resource, your in, as it were, to figure out how you were going to covertly tell this story? Yeah. My, my initial in was Hyuncio Lee, who's a very high profile defector. She had written a memoir called The Girl with Seven Names. And so she was really the first person who I came to know. Um, and I knew that Hyuncio would be part of the film, but I knew as I had done this research that I wanted to do something that was experiential, you know, that really forced people outside of North Korea to come face to face with North Koreans because I was so outraged by the fact that we don't have an opportunity to come face to face with them or to hear from them. And that part of the story really came through my relationship with Pastor Kim. Pastor Kim is a pastor in South Korea who has helped more than a thousand people escape North Korea. And I, when I was doing all my initial research, some of the hidden camera footage that was being smuggled out of North Korea it turned out was being smuggled out with the help of Pastor Kim's network or underground railroad that goes through China into Southeast Asia and into Thailand and eventually into South Korea. Um, and so when I discovered that and realized that was coming from Pastor Kim, I sought him out. And, you know, over many months, he and I got to know each other. And he had been approached by several filmmakers in the past and also different sort of networks at a certain point, he and I realized that we really had the same goal in mind, which was to do this, to, to plunge in and do this fully. And he was our ticket to all of that because, you know, our film shoots on the border of North Korea and China, which is one of the most dangerous, arguably one of the most dangerous areas in the entire world. And there's no way that obviously we could have done that or that any of us would go there and put anyone, any North Korean defector at risk. So it was really because of Pastor Kim's network made up of both brokers who are doing this for money, um, who are helping people for money. And the other part of the network are people who are spiritually aligned with the whole mission of, you know, helping people to escape and are more associated with the church side of things. And it was his network that was able to initially capture the footage along the border of North Korea and China. And then from there, it expanded out, and we were able to shoot ourselves in Southeast Asia, 
you know, Laos, Thailand, or the border of Thailand and, and Laos in Laos, in Vietnam, and of course in South Korea. But all of our directives came from Pastor Kim and uh and um and without him, you know, like he he was basically a line producer on this. You know, he yeah. helped us to organize how we we're gonna do do this unprecedented embedding with with stories in a safe way, in a way that didn't draw attention to the people we were trying to follow. I mean, I think that's like the most key important thing here. He He's a hero uh, in many different ways. And it's a very emotional viewing experience as well, because you tell the lives of these people who are risking everything to defect and get out of North Korea. Did every person that you chose to follow their own personal journeys in this uh, film make it into the final film? Were there any stories that you had to leave out? I'm curious to know because there's just so much risk involved, obviously, with this. Um, I would just like to know, um, you know, how you chose whose stories to specifically leave in the final edit of the film. Yeah. So once Pastor Kim and I decided to work together, we both felt that we should follow two stories, you know, because, you know, okay. obviously in film you shoot, you don't know in a documentary, especially you have no idea what you're going to end up using right. or what's going to resonate. And, and so we, we decided to follow two. And these two stories that we follow were the next two groups who contacted Pastor Kim after that. And so there, we did not follow any other stories. This was just happenstance. We had a mandate throughout um, that, both for the Soyan Lee story, this is a story of a mother trying to rescue her son out of North Korea, and for this Roe family story, which are five people, including a grandma in her 80s and, and young children. The other story that we were following, we had a mandate that up until the last minute, really, up until literally like two weeks before Sundance, both groups had the right to tell us, we don't want to do this. Wow. And so it was really like, because we knew the only way we could do this was to take that risk, you know, just as like everybody in this film and Pastor Kim talks about it beautifully. It was everybody in this film had to deal with the trust, you know, the issues we us knowing we might never have a film in the end, you know, the family blindly, they didn't know anything about the world outside of North Korea. They, they knew they were at risk in North Korea. So they just fled across the river into China. They didn't know what China was. They didn't know what to do next. They met a farmer, then they trusted that. And then the net network, you know, Soyan Lee as well. So everybody, um, it was really a testament to trust, courage. And ultimately I believe it was a miracle because like really when I look back at how many, how impossible it really was to do what we were doing, it's amazing. And 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 again, Pastor Kim was obviously a key. You know, we would never have been able to do it without him. No, enough cannot be said uh, about his efforts uh, for this film. Absolutely. I agree with you on that. Was there ever a point in the making of this where you personally thought to yourself, this might be pushing it. I don't know if we can continue to keep moving forward. We might have to call it in uh, because of either personal risk or just fear for your, your own life. I, I'm just curious to know, was there ever that moment? Yeah. I mean, we definitely thought long and hard about all of that, you know, from mm -hmm. the very beginning. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and we vetted all of this through, you know, the activism world, the policy world, both in South Korea and in the United States. 
and and we decided to go forward. But we were very cautious. We were definitely nervous. In some ways, the more we learned, the less nervous we became um, okay. because of the fact that, you know, our focus is really on the people. And yes, the Kim regime is the backdrop to everything because without them, people wouldn't even need to escape, right? right? So the Kim regime and the way they've set up their country and the brutality of that is hugely important, but the focus is on the people. Um, also, you know, the, the further we got into the film, like when we were shooting in Laos, okay, for instance, you know, we saw North Korean soldiers training the Laotian military right outside of our van. I mean, there were, it, you know, there were so many, um, it, it was, there was, we didn't know what was around the next corner, but it was like the, the deeper we all got into this together, the more there was no turning back. So we were never, there was no option, you know, to turn back. It was so important and vital. You know, we felt that what we were doing and ev and everyone felt that in terms of the security of the subjects, you know, well, Pastor Kim has been known by the regime um, since the early 2000s. And in fact, had to stop going into China. He goes into Southeast Asia, obviously. But the reason that only the network, the Underground Railroad shot in China is because we weren't going to go into China and draw attention to the family. Pastor Kim doesn't go into China anymore because he was warned in 2009 that he could be kidnapped into North Korea from China because China is complicit with the North Korean government. Um, so he's been known by the regime. So they've already known everything he's doing. So Yan Lee has been known by the regime because she, uh, you know, years ago spoke out in multiple venues, including the UN, about violence against women inside North Korea. Hyun Seo Lee, um, a high profile defector who wrote, you know, the memoir, The Girl with Seven Names and has a TED talk with like 40 million views. Yeah. She's been known by the regime. So, so everybody was already known, I mean, other than us. But in terms of the brokers and all of that, we definitely, you know, disguised voices. Um, we blurred faces. Um, everything was vetted over and over and over again by multiple sources in terms of security. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So... There sounds like there's a tremendous amount of preparation that goes into this before you even have a chance to turn on the camera. How long would you say the entire process from just thinking about conceptually what this was going to be to the time that you handed it in uh, to Sundance? How long was that? I mean, it was about really from just the beginning when I started to do research, which that in itself took months. Um, God, let me do the math. It was like... Um, four and a half years. Because the other thing is that when I first started shooting, I was shooting, you know, mostly around Hyunseo Lee, knowing that I wanted this present tense. I knew I felt the film needed something experiential, something present tense. And her defection had happened more than 20 years previous. But I was shooting with her about her life inside North inside South Korea as really at the time the most high profile defector and someone who had been targeted by the regime. And and that was a very interesting sort of more of like a psychological thriller story. And that story is also very compelling. And I have all that footage in the end. We couldn't right. even, you know, fit everything together. But um, but when I met 
Pastor Kim. And when he and I got to know each other from that period of time, it was really, um, it was like almost three years total from when I first met Pastor Kim. So it took, the film took a real turn about a year and a half in when I met Pastor Kim. So you said uh, up until like two weeks before Sundance, you didn't necessarily even have a green light to go forward with the final film necessarily. But the editing process, I imagine you must have had hours upon hours upon hours of footage for this um, in so many different formats too. footage that also, like you said earlier, had to be smuggled in. Um, I can't imagine the editing process on a project like this, um, and it's distilled down to 115 minutes. Can you tell us what your original rough cut assembly was and uh, what the editing process just was like during the making of this? Because I, based on what I'm hearing, it sounds like the documentary took on many shapes and forms throughout the process of making it. It did, and I I also edited the film, so... Um, it did take on many shapes and forms. Um, you know, the Roe family gave their approval on the uh, on the film far before that two week before Sundance point. The person who really we you know wanted to make sure that she saw the film in its final final form before she gave final approval because she had seen pieces of the film and yeah. other versions of the film, but was really Soyeon Lee because. She's the one who was attempting to, you know, rescue her son out of out of North Korea. And her son was actually caught on the border of North Korea and China before Pastor Kim's group even was able to uh, start helping him. Because yeah. when the North what happened was there was a North Korean broker who took him over the river um, from North Korea into China. And then the plan was that Pastor Kim's underground network was going to meet him at a certain time and place. And before that even happened. He was caught. It, it it seems that one of the North Korean uh, brokers may have made a deal with the Chinese government and actually turned him in. So, um, so he was actually caught. He was imprisoned in China, and he was actually repatriated during the pandemic, early in the pandemic, back to uh, North Korea. So, with Soyan, you know. And it's so hard to get information out of North Korea. So I was filming with her up until also right before Sundance, you know, and, you know, wanting to get the most up-to-date part of the story and then wanting to make sure that she was, wanted to go forward with this. And if she hadn't, the second story in the film was going to be something else. It was going to be more of this kind of dark belly of the soul of Seoul, South Korea, which was the Hyonseo. So there was a whole nother, I was working with multiple structures you know, the other thing is that not only was I working with multiple structures in terms of whether this is Soyan and the Roe family or whether Hyunseo and the Roe family, but also because Hyunseo's story is also so resonant and so deeply uh, meaningful to me and to her and I think to audiences, you know, for a while we were considering this as a series. So I cut, yeah. you know, three episodes of a series that involved all three stories. I cut you know, versions of what might have been a double feature. I mean, it was like insane. I, <laughs> because I knew that we didn't know if we were going to, you know, use Soyeon because we certainly weren't going to do anything that would, you know, put at risk her son or anything. And because of just, like you said, the massive amount of footage, it was like, we have to have the 
version that has Soyeon, the version that doesn't have Soyeon, and also the version that potentially uses more of the footage and more of the story. And then ultimately when Soyeon said, yes, we you know, went with the version that was what you see, you know, and, and where Hyuncio really becomes the voice of what's going on inside North Korea. I, I, that's how she is sort of um, contributes to the film and her story inside South Korea is a whole nother thing, which I have so much footage and who knows, maybe we will turn it into a film. I certainly have the material. <laughs> now that the hopefully anxiety attack of the production of this movie is over for you, uh, it wins the audience award over at Sundance, gets picked up for distribution. You guys have recently been nominated for four Critics' Choice Documentary Awards now at this point. Awards are nice and everything, but as someone who follows the award season race as closely as I do, I always see it as a way to just get a film a level of experience Exposure. More people will hopefully see it when they see it gets nominated or wins these awards. So looking back on it all now and knowing, because I'm going to clue you in now, your film's on a very, very nice trajectory throughout the next couple of months, knowing that more people are going to hopefully gravitate towards this film because of its award season run, how are you feeling about the way the film's been received so far? I mean, I think we're all just so amazed and blown away by the way that the, the film is being received, the, you know the emotional reaction that the outrage also about what's going on inside North Korea. And, you know, we've been um, traveling with Pastor Kim and Soyan have been in, in the United States for most of the last two and a half months. Um, the Roe family were also in the United States uh, at Sundance. And, um, and so, and the, and the response to them, you know, after seeing this film and then meeting Pastor Kim, you know, this like rock star, like guy who's like risking his life and doing so much for people. And then to meet Soyeon, who just, you know, her, the heartbreak of her story and what's going on now for her and, and how she's trying to advocate for her son and really doing a lot of that in the United States. So it's been, it's been amazing. Um, I mean, the most important thing to us, like you said, is obviously the awards are are great. Or if I mean, if we get anything, I was I was amazed when we got nominated for the Critics' Choice. I didn't even know we were up for them, and then suddenly I got an email. I was like, oh wow! But um, but yeah, I mean, the the most important thing is that people see this and that we get this out there because again, we in the United States don't ever have the opportunity in the news to hear about the people to hear from the people we're blocked from the people that is the entire you know that is exactly how north korea has remained the country that it is is by keeping the people inside hermetically sealed from the outside world so the exchange of information you know us learning about what's really going on inside north korea then makes us responsible for have for helping you know if we don't know anything we have a perfect excuse not to pay attention but right. but hopefully this film will bring this to a wide audience and and will force you know countries around the world administrations around the world to when they speak about north korea not just speak about the nukes you know and north korea is not going to give up their nukes by the way so even talking about that is a waste of time but you know so when when we talk about north korea we shouldn't just be talking about the nukes we have to be talking about the people every single time north korea is mentioned because it is an outrage and we're all standing by as witness to this you know in some form and and so hopefully, uh, yeah, this film will bring people into the fold to try to advocate for help. And then also a main goal with this film and also with just activists in general who are dealing with North Korea and even policy people dealing with North Korea 
is getting information into North Korea because again, the people are so cut off that they don't, unless you live right near the border with China where you might get some information, most of North Korea doesn't know anything about the outside world except what they're told. And so they literally, they don't even know how relatively miserable their existence is because they believe and they're told that the rest of the world is actually worse off. So we have to get information about the outside world into North Korea so that North Koreans can have a sense of entitlement and a sense of what they deserve, you know, because that's also going to activate change. So I'm going to start getting emotional here, but like, this is really what it's about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's an emotional film. It's a gripping film. It's an informative movie. It literally was for me, uh, everything I could ever possibly want in a documentary feature. And that's why I love it so dearly. It's one of the best films I've seen uh, so far this year. And I hope that more people as a result of this conversation uh, and anything else, uh, seek it out for all the reasons that you said. Um, Madeline, thank you so, so much once again. For thank you, Matt. Thank you so much. I really appreciate really, really it. Really, appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with the director for Beyond Utopia, Madeline Gavin, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Beyond Utopia will be playing in select theaters on November 3rd and is up for your consideration this year for Best Documentary Feature. You've been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We're proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also land on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.